All right, morning show with Anthony. Super excited to have on the phone with us uh, an absolute legend, Rock and Roll Hall of Fame inductee, Denny Lane, joins us on the morning show with Anthony. Denny, good morning. How are you? Good morning. I'm fine. How are you? Doing great. Uh, show is at Bay Street Theater Saturday night. Uh, you're calling this tour Songs and Stories. I get excited about that yeah. because um, when you build up a career like you have, I always kind of want to hear the stories behind the music as well. I'm assuming that's what you're doing at this show. Yeah, that's that's the thing. It's, <laughs> it's the equivalent of writing a book in a way because when you're doing these shows, you know, I mean, people in the audience get to participate. They ask you questions or you, they might inspire a story or something or ask for a song which inspires the story and that kind of thing. Which, you know, can be more fun than just doing a gig with a band sometimes. Yeah. You know, it's just like a... Yeah, so I talk about how the songs are written, what they're all about, and drop a few names, things like that. (laughs) Let's start by dropping a few names. Uh, Before even the Moody Blues, you kind of bounced around in a, a couple of bands, a couple of projects. Did you... Was it always music for you when you were growing up? Did you know this is absolutely what I'm doing and I'm going to do it no matter oh, what? Yeah. 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 I think what happened is that a lot of kids of my age, we came after the war. You know, we were the, young, we were the youngest. I was the youngest of the family. And uh, we were sort of left to do what we wanted to do. You know, get on with it, do your own thing, and and that's it. So... Music was obviously a way of getting, you know, a job, getting at it. And in fact, I was doing it when I was at school as well. So, I mean, it was it was all part of the growing up thing, music, with everybody in, in my street, really. Even in school, there was a lot of people doing music, a lot of bands, in Birmingham anyway, and Liverpool. I mean, that's how the Moody Blues came together. You know, they, they'd been out in... Um, Germany with the Beatles they came back wanted to put a band together go back out there and that's what happened I decided I wanted to do a blues group and we stayed in England instead of going to Germany and then we got discovered so the rest was kind of history but you know it was always about music yeah for sure yeah, I'm I'm obsessed with uh, Brian Epstein, and um, they always say that the Moody Blues was like the band that got away from Brian Epstein. Do you have any stories of those old uh, those early days with Brian? Well, Brian was the Beatles actually were doing this a favor because we were with a company which you know got us famous. I mean, they were actually involved with the Beatles, a company called Ridge Pride. Used to be a company called Celtab, and they were involved with the Beatles uh, merchandise. And they basically decided to go into management, found us, and we became that. Well, anyway, so we became friends with the Beatles in the very early days. And they were neighbors and stuff. We'd have parties. And Brian was always, you know, around. Um, I can remember a lot of times. And, and the final thing that I did with Brian was at the um, well actually what happened was when we decided to leave our management or they left us we uh, we went with Brian and it was uh, it was the Beatles who recommended him so that's what happened there and he was a real gentleman Brian you know but he didn't have all the time in the world for us because obviously he was 
at that time, actually, he was going, getting in touch with uh, Robert Stigwood about the Bee Gees. So there was that going on. But uh, but he gave us a lot of work. We became part of his agency and all that stuff. So it was all very, very positive stuff. And then he had a theatre called the Saddle Theatre. And um, John, Paul, and Peter Asher were in the audience one night when I was doing the closing the first half of Jimi Hendrix. And um, Paul saw me doing my string band thing. And so Brian was basically encouraging me to, to go out and do my own thing after I left the movies. I actually went to him and said, look, oh, I need to get out of this, the band and do my own thing. Is that all right with you? He said, yeah, well, I don't care. Whatever you want to do. So I did. I put the string band together. They, Paul saw me at the Jimi Hendrix show, and that kind of led, I think, to me joining Wings. You know, mainly because we knew each other so well. So that's how that came about. I tell you that that Jimmy that Jimi Hendrix show was the epicenter of music. I mean, it's amazing how everybody, you, Paul, right, Clapton, like it's amazing who was who was in that room and that in those early days of music. It's crazy. I know, I know. Well, Paul and I went to see Jimmy when he first came over. Now. Charles Chandler brought him over from America, and the first place he stayed was with a friend of mine called Zoop Money. And Zoop Money, the big roll band, was quite well known in London at the time. And Zoop and the Animals and all their management were all friends of ours. You know, I mean, we knew them from the clubs. And um, so, of course, Jimmy was already connected to us as soon as he came here. And I already knew Noel and Mitch, his drum and bass player. So, you know, when we went to see him the first time, Paul and I went to a club called the Bag and Owls Club in London. And um, that was it. So, I mean, we already kind of knew Jimmy. And uh, like a lot of bands knew each other in those days because we always used to play together, you know, played the same gigs. And that's exactly what this gig was. And there's a lot of people on that bill. And as you say, a lot of famous people, now famous, were in the audience. Well, they were famous then, but, you know, these were early days, you know. Yeah. Denny Lane is with us. He's going to be at the Bay Street Theater on uh, Saturday night. Uh, get tickets and more info. BayStreet.org. Songs and stories. It should be a great show. I'm curious, Denny. I mean, I, I get you. You know, you felt the need that you had to go out and, and, you know, be on your own. And, you know, it all works out for you in the end. But when you first leave the Moody Blues and Justin moves in and Nights in White Satin mm -hmm. comes out, what's your feeling like then? Are you because I. I I feel like history says you guys left on a good note, but were you happy for their success oh, yeah. or were you like, oh my God, what am I going to do? Yeah. No, no, no. I was totally happy for their success. Because I was, you see, I felt a little bit guilty about leaving, but they wanted to go on the road and work because, like I say, we all got, you know, money wise, we didn't do, you know, the management in those days, you didn't know what you were to, they were doing. And, the money went somewhere, but didn't come to us. So we we needed to work, and we were working. But I wanted to go in the studio, and we owed Decker an album actually. But so I went and did my thing, and um, they went on. And uh, it was Eric Burden actually who suggested, who gave them a list of people, um, a guitar player, and then one of them was Justin. So. Um, first gig that I played oh, the, with them only gig actually I was opening for them with my string band at a club called the 100 Club in London 
and they were playing the same set that I used to do. Um, and it was a little bit weird because I thought, ah, you know, they need to get out of this and change this. And they did eventually change their set, got rid of the blue suits and became what they are now. So I was very pleased about that because now they were successful and I was, you know, doing okay myself. So I didn't feel so, so guilty about leaving. So I was very happy. And to this day, you know, I'm still pretty friendly with them all. And, um, yeah, the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame was great. I mean, they were really nice to me. It was it was just great. It was like an old school reunion, really. And seeing Mike and Graham, especially. Shame about Ray, because he passed away, but uh, his wife was there. But it was a really nice feeling to be back in that camp again. You know, I felt part of it all again. So it was great, really. Yeah, it's funny, you know, because, uh, you know, as as fans, like, we're seeing this kind of in going into this year. I think Radiohead's not going to show up or something. Or, you know, we've seen bands that haven't been able to put it together. But as fans of music, like, it's so great when when everybody's able to put it together and be there for that night and celebrate the work and the music and everything. Like, I love I love that. That makes me so happy. Yeah, me too. I mean, yeah, that's the thing, you know. We all started off. Uh, you know, doing lots of gigs. I mean, that was the whole thing in them days. There was no recording in the early days. It was all working on the road. There's a lot of live bands, and you had to be good. And to this day, you know, just seeing the Moody's that night, I thought, well, God, they're still good bands. You know, they sound great. They've got their... that. That's what their secret was, really. They were still good live. And... Uh, you know, that's what makes bands famous. It's not so much, you can have a hit record, but you won't last unless you're in a good life, you know. So that's really what that whole legacy was in the 60s. I mean, the Beatles were a great band, you know, they had a great feel, and that's the main thing here, you know. We all had to do work to get, to make people dance, and that's what otherwise we wouldn't work. Yeah. So we had to be a good band. And that's what it still is the same today. If you're a good live band, I mean, look at some of these bands, you know, that actually make it more for their live work than they do the records. Dave Matthews, for example, you know, and all those kind of Zach Brown bands. You know, they've got live audiences because they're so good live. And that's what I'm, I'm kind of proud of the fact that we've all stayed pretty good. You know, we're still playing live, you know, even poor. I mean, he's always got a great show because he's good live, you know. Yeah. Um, and good musicians. And the same with me. I've got, see, I've got a band, a great band. Some of them originally came from Peter Ash's band. And, uh, you know, they're really good live. So I do the band on the run album, the old Moody Blues album. I do a lot of stuff, you know, from my own, own catalogue. And um, I, I enjoy playing live more than anything. So when my band's not available, like now, I do solo shows. So that's the idea of this show. Yeah, and I mean, and people still get to hear, you know, your solo interpretations of all this music. I mean, it's yeah, it, it's yeah. great. I mean, all right, so let's go from after the Moody Blues. You do Electric String. You do Ginger Baker. Settling yeah. settling into the uh, into Wings. I'm assuming it's the the friendship you had with Paul, but but did you know you know in '71 like yeah I could I could probably do this for the next ten years or so? No, I didn't think of it like that. Uh, you know, I was just I wanted to do something. My actual flat, my band in those days, the string band, were string players from the Royal Academy. 
four of them, and they had to go on tour with some big orchestral tour. And at that time, I was out of work for a couple of months. So that's really what happened. And I was just, you know, in the office one day, and the phone rang, and it was Paul. In fact, I was very good friends with Mark Boland at those in those days, and he and I were sort of, you know, in the office because he was trying to get a deal with the same management in America, and we were talking, and the phone rang. So that was Paul. And so, I mean, as I say, you know, it was just very, very because we knew each other. And it was very easy for me to just jump on a plane, go to Scotland, and start again, really, was what it was. And, and we had to do something new. We couldn't do the old stuff. We had to think, like like the Moody's, you know, we had to think about, well, what can we do now? we got to do our own thing, like I did with the string band. And it's always good to start something new like that because it's a challenge. You get a lot of pressure from the press in, in our case, but but in, in the early days we were in Scotland, so we didn't really care about that. And we just kind of went slowly forward, you know, and that, that's really the way it works. It doesn't work if you're just thrown into the arena just like that, you know, and you've got to do a, an album and you've got to come out with something big and do a big tour you've got to ease your way into it like any band and that's really what we did yeah it's so funny that you say that because you know the the backlash against robert plant for not wanting to go backwards and wanting to do something new that's exactly what you're talking about like you guys had to reinvent yourselves and move forward all the time i mean that i'm sure that couldn't have been easy well it's you know what I mean? From the from the outside point of view, it doesn't look easy. But from our point of view, it is easy because we're doing what we want to do. See, if it wouldn't be easy if we were trying to recreate the Beatles songs and Moody Blues and stuff and, and whatever we'd done in our past, it wouldn't have been easy then because we would have been up against you know, a lot of criticism and, and we wouldn't have enjoyed it either. So it was easy in the sense that, hey, we had a... Well, a carte blanche to just go ahead and do what we wanted to do. And of course, he inspired Paul to write a lot and me. So, you know, and to put a good band together. That's That was the inspiration. And even though we went through a few lineups, we still every time had a great band, you know, and we, and we toured as much as we possibly could. Um, unfortunately, for the Jap- Japan thing, that ruined everything because of the visa situation. So, suddenly weren't going on the road. But uh, again, you know, jumping forward, that's one of the reasons I walked away is because I wanted to work live more. That's all. Yeah. But, but other than that, you know, it was a great live band eventually. Um, well, right from the off, even with Denny and Henry, they were great players. The band was a good band, even though we, we didn't have any, you know, record success yet. It was still a good band and we enjoyed it. Playing, you know, we enjoyed rehearsing and everything else. <laughs> yeah, you have. I mean, yeah. I don't want to spoil the show too much, but from seventy-one to eighty-one, you were with Paul and Linda. Is there a story that you know sticks out in your mind as a fond memory? Well, lots of fond memories. I mean, we we always had a very good, you know, working relationship. That's the first thing. We, you know. Paul and I just slotted straight into it because we grew up by the same music, we loved the same people, um, and we, we would jam a lot on old things and stuff like that. Um, going up to Scotland, you know, for the first time and, and sort of being a, a part of, almost like a part of their family, in a sense. Um, 
you know, we had a lot of laughs. Of course we did. I mean, especially when we were on, when we first went on that university tour, you know, and we stayed in these cheap hotels, keeping a low profile. And of course, nobody recognized Paul at all because you wouldn't associate Paul with going into like, you know, <laughs> these little bed and breakfast places <laughs> on the way to a gig and turning up at places to, and saying, well, we've got Paul McCartney in the, car, in the car, can we do a gig? And there was all that funny part about it. So we were laughing at all our way through all of that. So they, you know, people can't believe us, but it, it, it actually works in our favour, you know. It's, we, a lot of, we had a lot of fun. Let's put it that way. That's awesome. How, how, yeah. qu- how quickly into the start of the band did, did did Paul ever sing Penny Lane to you as Denny Lane? Did he ever do that? Never. Never? No. <laughs> but, he, but he knows and I know that Penny Lane was definitely inspired by me and Go Now because, you know, I mean, Paul's that kind of guy. He, he'll take a something like that and twisted into a song you know he's very kind of uh, you know inspired by one thing and which relates to another thing if you see what I mean so Penny Lane obviously Penny Lane is you know an inspiration but you've got to you got to remember that uh, the bass line in Penny Lane is exactly the same as the bass line in Go Now That's it's right. the same bass line you know it's the same yeah, and, uh, and that's taken from air on a G-string that bark anyway. So, <laughs> so Paul used to stand at the side of the stage a lot when we were touring with them, and he would always come out to listen to Go Now. He loved that, you know. Well, everybody loved that thing, and um, he was a big. He was influenced a lot by us. I can tell, you know. That's what, I think that's another reason he wanted me in the band. You know, I was a singer in another band and. And it was like a band he liked. So, I mean, yeah, Penny Lane was definitely inspired by me, for sure. There's no getting away from it. Or even though it was about Liverpool, you know. Uh, it was like a Liverpool folk song to me. I liked about a lot of the Beatles stuff. It represented their lifestyle, you know, and like Dylan does in America. You know, they represented Britain in a way, or Liverpool especially. But town living, you know, growing up working class people. Yeah. So that, that's that's what Penny Lane was all about. But a lot of people say to me, and I give them the evil eye. Yeah, I look at them like, Ugh. but you know, Penny Lane. Then they say, oh well, I think I better go now. <laughs> <laughs> you know, there's a lot of that goes on. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Denny Lane is with us here on the morning show with Anthony. So, Denny, you've, I mean, long successful career, 60s, 70s, all the way through to today. We often have this debate here on, on the morning show with Anthony because we're such big fans, but it's a fun conversation for me to have with the listeners all the time. If you could pick the worst decade, now, granted, n- there is no bad decade for music, but if you can pick the least good decade for music, 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, which one would you say was overall the weakest decade for music? Well, you know, the 70s and 60s were definitely the strongest from from what was going on as far as you could still make it as a working band. I think the 80s started to be a problem because... Yeah, I mean, there still was a lot of good music. There's always going to be a lot of talented people around. Yeah. But I think what happened with, with the computer age, you know, 
said the oath was in nineties. I mean, I don't know the exact time that it would have been bad because I wasn't really following a lot of it. All I know is people were starting to make records at home, and we've all done it. I mean, I, I made records in the studio, but there were still home records in a way because I did most of the playing. And you overdub yourself, and you do all that kind of recording. You know, even did it with wings. But I mean, you you kind of don't. You know, you do everything. To, it's more of a like not being in the band as as being a solo person where you just do everything yourself. And then people were making computer records. And I, I'm just as bad because a lot of my... Well, I don't know about it bad, but it was a sign of the times. But I did a lot of, you know, electronic drums. Uh, I mean, Mike Pinder from the Moody Blues basically invented the synthesizer. He was responsible for that. So we all use synthesizers and, and drum machines and that does what. In fact, uh, Steve, you only gave Paul a drum machine. Well, I was with him after um, and in the studio and gave him a drum machine. So we started using that. But I'm not saying it was a bad time, but I think it stopped people from working alive more. You know, there's more recording going on and everybody, and his dog was just wanting to be a musician because you could do all our computers. Yeah. So for me, that would be the worst because there wasn't enough live music. Now, I could be slightly wrong, you know, decade. <laughs> could have been the 90s, could have been the 80s, but it was around the mid of those two years, uh, two decades, that I think it, it's a brick wall. And since then, thank God, everybody started putting bands together and going playing live again, especially the young kids. Yeah. Because the young kids, a lot of these young kids are like, in touch with me all the time now. And because they sort of look at us as being the first people that started going live and doing you know, that stuff in the early days and doing our own thing, which is what they're inspired by now. I think live music is, is the reason that everybody's back out there doing it again. Um, and more venues are opening and all the rest of it. So, you know, there always wins in the end. <clears throat> I think the time when everybody was using computers <clears throat> more than anything was not a good thing, but it was a good, it was a start. And now it's kind of a mixture of both, if you see what I mean. Yeah. Uh, by the way, uh, you are a scholar, my friend. You are so smart that I say the exact same thing. It was that 80s decade. The the, yeah. the technology, like you pointed out, also the emphasis on MTV <laughs> and visuals instead of the actual music also, I think, played into it. But yeah. I completely agree. Yeah. All that, all of that, yeah, especially yeah, the visuals. Mind you, the visuals are good too because, you know, it's nice to see, to see a band and then have, you know, videos. I mean, we, the movie Blues did the very first uh, promotional, if you want to call it video, the very first one, the donor, but it was actually 70 mil, but it wasn't a video, but it was still a promotional film. So I don't think there's anything with that. I just think it kind of outweighed balance-wise, you know, it outweighed all the, the, the live thing. So right. that's what we... Yeah. yeah, yeah, and it's true what you say because the business has changed so much. The financial part of the business has changed. You've, you've got to be great yeah. live today to pull it off. And it's like you said back in the day, it was all about that live show experience. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, as you say, it's the live bands that are getting the, the, the fans these days. That's all I can say. It's not so much people who have a hit. It's the live bands. You know, I mean, for example, Lady Gaga is a great talent. She's got all that other stuff going. You know, and I saw her with uh, Tony Bennett, you know, and she did a great show with him. 
And she's a great singer, but she's also got all that other stuff. She's a visual and the image and all the rest of it. But she's actually a really good talent. And that's what stands out to me. Um, but it's good to have both. You know, it's really good to be both, like you say. We we wouldn't have made it without some kind of gimmick or, you know, <laughs> you know what I mean, selling ourselves in the early days and promotion and all that stuff. But it was always that to live work that, that really got the respect from people, I think. Yeah, no, I completely agree. Denny, this was absolutely a pleasure and so much fun. Uh, congratulations on the Hall of Fame. And uh, we're all looking forward to Saturday night, Bay Street, baystreet.org for tickets and more info. Uh, Denny, thank you so much for spending some time with us. Thank you, Anthony. I really enjoyed it. Thanks. We'll see you there. There he goes. Uh, Rock and Roll Hall of Famer, absolute legend, Moody Blues, Wings. Uh, Electric String, Ginger Bakers, Air Force, the whole nine yards. Denny Lane right here on Long Island, Saturday night, Bay Street Theater, baystreet.org. I feel vindicated. I feel like I've been sitting here. By the way, you know how much guff and slack and uh, uh, threats I've received for taking on 80s music and saying it's the worst decade of music? There you go, my friends. There you go, my doubters. There's Denny Lane, Rock and Roll Hall of Famer, Paul McCartney confidant, sitting there telling you the same thing your old pal Ant's been telling you for so long. You can stop sending me threatening emails. I know some of you went to high school. It was your golden era, worst decade of music, period. Denny Lane, your old pal Ant, uh, it's done. Over. Case is closed. We are correct, sir. Good day. <laughs> Good day. Still great music. Still some of my favorite songs ever to come out of the 80s. But overall, when you average it out and you look at those decades, worst period ever. Worst period. It's just something has to be last place. He answered the question right. He got it. He totally got it. Boy, I mean, I can't even. Jimi Hendrix and McCartney and Wings and the... Uh, Ginger Baker, I can't even imagine what kind of stories you're in for Saturday night at Bay Street uh, Theater. That's going to be a great show. BayStreet.org for tickets and more info. My thanks to Denny Lane for getting us a little bit closer to the music here on The Morning Show with Anthony. Thank you guys so much for tuning in to The Morning Show with Anthony podcast. You know we're available on all the podcasters out there. iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn. You can get The Morning Show with Anthony podcast and subscribe on whichever service you prefer to use. If you're on iTunes, make sure you guys rate and review our podcast. That helps us climb up the ranks a little bit. And of course, check out the home of the podcast. It's WEHM.com. We have a morning show vlog there as well. Tons of music news updated every single day, several times a day. And uh, lots of great contests too, especially if you live in the New York area. We give away a lot of concert tickets to some amazing shows all throughout New York City, Long Island, and New Jersey. So go to WEHM.com and make sure you guys follow us on social everywhere. You'll see my personal links under the on-air tab. Just click on Anthony.